This is DeRay Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Man's Podcast, Episode 1, Trey Five. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What it do, BTM tribe? Welcome to another episode of the Before the Millions podcast. I am your host, DeRay Olalaye. And on today's episode, guys, I am super excited to welcome you guys to a master networker, a guy who got his start in the sales industry, and not just any type of sales, but the the grunt work type sales, the door-to-door marketer, the Cutco knives, the Herbalife, the, the guy at the front door selling you a vacuum cleaner. This is where Travis Chapel, today's guest, started. He started as a door-to-door salesman, and he started making a six-figure income from strictly door-to-door sales. And he became a extroverted introvert. He learned how to network. He learned how to market himself and his products. And he decided that he had a gift to share with the world. So he created a platform, which we'll talk about it also on today's show. He created a platform, which is his podcast that allows him to connect with a lot more individuals and to network on a very, very high level. Now, Travis has interviewed some of the most profound entrepreneurs in the world, such as people like Grant Cardone, right? And we actually talk about exactly how he was able to get Grant Cardone on his show. But for you guys, we're actually diving into the meat potatoes of the networking skill, how you can create relationships, how you can foster these relationships, how you can become a better networker, how you can work on your sales skills. So whether you're an investor, you're an agent, you're a thought leader, you're in the real estate industry, and you're not getting the amount of clients that you want. You're not getting the amount of sales that you want. You're not closing the amount of deals that you want. There's a common adage that is quoted often. It's not what you know, but it's who you know. And knowing Travis and having somebody like Travis on the show to share his insights has been super invaluable for me. And I cannot wait for it to be super invaluable for you guys. If you're a new listener and you haven't yet hit that subscribe button, go ahead and subscribe and start binging and listening to the latest Before the Man's Podcast episodes, where we talk about a maraud of strategies to help you get started down your investment journey. Now, if you want to find all of these strategies that we talk about on these shows in one concise place and really just run through them, figure out what strategy is best for you, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash guide. That is my brand new guide that's going to have you take an assessment to figure out exactly how you should get started in real estate and where in real estate you should get started. That's over at beforethemillions.com forward slash guide. Also, if you haven't yet been to our resources page, which is kind of where I house my most vetted affiliates. 
So if you visit beforethemans.com forward slash resources, not only will you see my top 10 favorite books for every single year and how to listen to some of those books for free, but you'll also get access to a ton of discounts, to a ton of softwares and programs and courses and things of that nature that a lot of my affiliates have to offer. Now, again, I don't just throw up anybody up on my resources site. I vet these people and I make sure I do my due diligence to make sure that I'm recommending only the best top-notch quality software and service for you guys. And to be quite honest, 80% of my affiliates, the only reason they became affiliates is because I am using their software or their service myself. So head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash resources and just check out the resources page. See if you can pick up one or two things that you like. I know that my personal favorite on the resources page is the 90X journal. Now, I have a journal that I write in every single day. And this journal lasts about 90 days, so I have four a year. And this journal is what helps me clearly define my goals and set plans to make sure that those goals are achieved every 90 days. So the 90X journal is on there. There's a ton of other things on there. Just go ahead and head over to the resources page or at beforethemillions.com forward slash resources, and um, your goodies are awaiting. Without any further ado, guys, I can't wait to really just talk about networking and how Travis was able to not only build up his brand, but build up his network and expertise. And it all started from door-to-door sales. You know, Robert Kiyosaki was a big fan of door-to-door sales, especially if you're an introvert, especially if you're not really great at sales, especially if you don't like talking to people, right? This gets you out of your comfort zone. And let me be clear, door-to-door sales is not for everybody. You know, we also talk about podcasting and how to start a podcast and if you should start a podcast and podcast is not for everybody. But the overall message on this show is that you need to network. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And real estate is actually a relationship business, contrary to popular belief. So I believe that this episode is going to be super invaluable for your networking skills. So with that being said, let's get into the tip of the week and then we'll jump straight into the show. The Ray's Tip of the Week. I am currently building out my first full-fledged strategy or method, per se. It's called the Motivated Seller Method, and it's going to drop early 2020, January 2020. I'm super excited for it, but I'm building out one of these sections right now, and this section is all about building out your A-team. I just want to give you guys a high-level overview of what you should look for when you're building out your A-team for your real estate business. Your team is most likely going to consist of a few of the following, whether you have a realtor, an agent, a mortgage broker, or a banker, or some other funding source like private money or hard money. Uh, You could have an attorney or even several attorneys, an accountant, an insurance broker, a contractor or a handyman, a property manager, the list goes on. So what should you be keenly aware of when hiring on these people or when partnering with these people? Well, first and foremost, I like to make sure that I'm choosing team members who actually invest in real estate. Uh, The perspective of a real estate agent who invests in real estate as opposed to a real estate agent who has no investments is totally different, 180. So I want an agent who has a few years in the game, who's been, you know, you don't have to have a 20-year experience as an agent, but if you have investments as an agent, you more likely are going to know exactly what I'm looking for, and you're going to and you're going to understand my wants, needs, and desires a whole lot better. So it's much easier, and I often find that the relationship is much smoother when I work with an agent who is also an investor. Okay, so again, this this is for every single team member, right? But I just use an agent for that first example. The next example is that they care about your goals, right? Let's think about a mortgage broker, or let's think about funding from a bank. 
right? If they're worried about one thing and you're worried about another thing and your goals are not aligned, then oftentimes, again, it's not going to be a fruitful relationship. If you're worried about the lowest down payment and they're worried about how and where they can squeeze fees without you knowing, there's going to be a problem right there. So make sure that they care about your goals, not only their goals. Um, number three, make sure that they're qualified, right? That's pretty self-explanatory. If somebody says that they're a realtor, you maybe just want to be sure that they are. I like working with the best personally. So oftentimes I'm going to ask for referrals. And that's the best way to make sure that somebody's qualified, asking for referrals or testimonials, right? Verify that the people you're looking to partner with have done exactly what you need them to do. And they've done it successfully for lots of people. The next thing I look for is reasonable fees. And now this is not as high on the barometer as qualified or they care about my goals or they invest in real estate um, because you get what you pay for. So I wouldn't go with somebody cheap, but I also wouldn't go with somebody who's exorbitantly high in their prices if it doesn't make any sense. So if I'm getting top-notch work, I, I wouldn't mind paying a little bit more than maybe what the average servicer, let's say a property manager is charging. I wouldn't mind paying a little bit more, a few percentage points more if I know that I'm getting top-notch work or they're doing things that the average property manager doesn't do, right? But at the end of the day, we want to make sure that the fees are reasonable and that they're in line, okay? Last but not least, let's make sure that there's chemistry. You're not getting married to this person here, but you want to work with somebody who you can stand to be around, who you can get on the phone with, right? Ask yourself, can I picture myself spending time with this person? Do I feel like that feeling is mutual? Ask yourself, can you trust them? The chemistry has to be there. Again, I said in the intro, but real estate is not just a transactional business. It's a relationship business. So building these relationships are key. And as long as you have chemistry, they have reasonable fees, they are qualified, they care about your goals, and they invest in real estate, you're going to build a very strong A-team. Now, let's get to the show. And now, your feature presentation. I want to welcome Mr. Travis Chapel. Travis, how's it going today? It's going really well, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to kind of get into your story and your life and kind of see the business that you're building today. But I need some background, Travis. Let's let's take it back into, into the time machine. I really want to kind of take it back to when you started thinking um, that maybe the, the traditional route wasn't your path. And you started thinking that there were there, there was a better life that you can live personally. And you started thinking about pursuing that. Kind of take me back to that time. Yeah. So first off, I was always that kid. Uh, bringing stuff to school to sell the other kids. Like, it's not like I had a real company or anything like that, but I, my parents bought me, uh, how old are you, bro? I'm 29. Okay. So you probably remember these. My parents bought me this, um, uh, little like oven thingy that made these creepy crawly bugs. Like you pour a little like liquid into these molds and then you put it in the oven and it like makes these little plastic bugs. And uh, I remember I was, the easy bake ovens. Yeah. So it was like the boy version of Easy Bake Ovens because I was, my sister always had Easy Bakes and I was always jealous. Right. Yep. And uh, then uh, they came out with this creepy crawly machine oven thing for boys, you know, and I, I started making those little bugs and I'd bring them to school in a little plastic baggie and sell them to the other kids and stuff. Um, so I always kind of had that little, that itch, the, the bug, the desire to make some money. Right. So um, in high school, started my first quote unquote business. Again, um, it was a landscaping business and a, a, a friend of mine and I started it up and we just started mowing lawns and putting in lawns, doing landscaping and stuff like that. Um, but the way that I grew up, it was very much uh, tethered in a way to encourage me to go into ministry, like Christian ministry. And so I actually went to Bible college and I have a double majored in Bible and church ministry. So that's what my degree's in. And I, uh, around my junior year, 
answer your second question is when I started thinking that maybe this wasn't the path that I was supposed to be going down. Um, what happened was I, uh, I, I had stopped doing the landscaping business, but I was uh, doing door-to-door sales <clears throat> at the time and uh, doing pretty well. And you know, I was 20, 19 to 20 years old. Um, at that time, junior year of college, I was interning at a church on the weekends. And then during the week, I was taking about 21 credits a semester and um, I was um, uh, running a team of solar sales reps. So basically, I started in solar and got promoted my first week, I promoted my fourth week, I promoted like two months later. And then within about six months, I had my own team of about 20 guys that would go knock doors for the solar company. And what happened was on the weekends when I was interning at a church, which is supposed to be the thing that I was going to do for the rest of my life, I found myself desiring to get back to school on Monday so that I could go work my job. And that was the first time that I really started thinking, you know, maybe this path that I thought was going to be the rest of my life, maybe it's not what's right for me. If I'm already thinking this way, like, hey, I'm looking forward to not doing what I'm doing right now and being back at school tomorrow so that I can go out in the afternoon and work my job. Like, if I'm already thinking that and it's been like six months, what's 20 years going to look like, right? So um, at that point, I really started thinking maybe this wasn't the path for me. So I basically, uh, we ended up graduating. I got married. My wife and I moved up to from where we lived in Southern California at the time uh, to a city called Fresno in Central California. <clears throat> and uh, for the first time in my life, I had moved away from the bubble that I grew up in. Um, and I, I didn't really know. I didn't know what else to do other than like ministry. And I had some door to door background. So I knew that I I figured out I didn't want to do ministry. So I uh, just kind of jumped into the door to door thing because that was really the only other skill that I had. Um, We can't do much with an unaccredited degree in Bible and church ministries. You know what I mean? So um, I was at that point was just like, well, you know, I could either go back to school or I could just keep doing door to door, which is probably going to pay me more money than whatever job I would get if I went back to school and got out anyway. So um, that was the path I ended up going down. So that was, that's kind of a brief overview of, uh, you know, what, what it was like leading up to before I started this business. I mean, we're primarily going to be talking about relationship building and networking and the skills that you, that you acquire doing door-to-door sales. I mean, you don't strike me as a, as a shy individual. Was this always the case? And if so, how did this help? And what are some of the other skills and, and traits that you can directly relate to your early, your early on beginnings in door-to-door sales that are helping you today? I wouldn't say I was ever really shy, except when I was a little kid, I was shy, but I would say that I am definitely an introvert. So when, and when I'm in a sales environment, I kind of get myself out of that. Uh, but I honestly think that that introverted tendency helped me stand out and kind of find my own way to connect with people. Because when I was first trained door to door, they taught me to be really loud and energetic and outgoing. And I made myself be like that for the sake of making money. But then when I really got good at it, I realized that probably the best way to go about doing it is to play to my introverted side and be more of the technician and the expert rather than the guy that's trying to sell them snake oil on the front porch. Um, and so that was, that was, you know, one major thing that I learned during that time. But I mean, the, the lessons go on and on and on, man, how to deal with rejection, how to, how to read people, you know, when you figure out that 7% of communication is the words that we say, 38% is tonality, 55% is body language and facial expression. So if you don't know how to read people, 
then uh, you're going to be subject to words, which is only 7% of the way that we communicate. So you're going to be missing a lot of things and you're not going to catch as many things and you're not going to get as many sales because you don't know like what somebody's actually thinking. They, they tell you something and you believe it. And uh, instead of like looking a layer or two deeper and trying to figure that out. And when you are just knocking on thousands of doors all the time, like it, it just, you have to get better at it. You just, it's cutting your teeth. You can read as many books on emotional intelligence as you want to, but getting out there and talking to, you know, a few dozen people every day, that's a whole different way to learn. And I think that that was probably the number one thing that it taught me was how to communicate with people and how to read people better. I, I by no means would call myself like an, an expert of reading people. Uh, but I think that I was able to cut my teeth in emotional intelligence and, uh, and shave time off of that learning curve where most people would take, you know, a decade in a corporate setting to learn those types of things. I think you could really learn a lot about, um, about emotional intelligence and reading people in just a couple of years of knocking on doors and, and selling stuff for a living. Yeah. And, and I want to touch on door knocking as a side tangent real quick, just because um, I do cater to an audience who are real estate investors and a subset of them do door knock for leads, right? Some people mm -hmm. are cold calling, some people are sending out mailers, some people are experts, um, but a, a subset of people do door knock for leads and it can be very frightening for you to door knock. You have to take yourself out of your comfort zone. You have to put yourself out there, right? You're going to somebody's house um, where they live. You're disturbing somebody that's not expecting you and door knocking as much as people may frown upon it. I think it's one of the best ways to get started in any venture, whether or not you're learning sales skills or you are investing in real estate. Um, but when, when you, when you saw the people who, who got success versus the people who, do, who didn't get success, and you were to boil it down to, to, to maybe one or two things. One thing that sticks out in my mind, and I'd love for you to kind of kind of wrap on it, is the fact that if it's something that you believe in, if it's something that does sell, then I believe that it's just a matter of time for you to be able to sell that, right? Whether it's you're selling your first one or you're selling 100, or again, just a matter of time for you to be able to find an owner who wants to sell you their property. But it's just a matter of time. It's like, how many doors are you knocking on? And it doesn't matter how bad in sales that you are. Even in the very beginning, you can be the worst salesman, right? If you knock, but, but if you're determined, if you're, if you're willing to knock on a thousand doors, whereas you know you're bad at sales, you're not going to knock on, or you go on, you go out on one Saturday afternoon, you knock on 10, you're like, okay, this is not, this is not for me or nothing came of this. But no matter how bad you are, if you're willing to knock on a thousand doors, even if you're the worst closer in the world and closing rate is something I love to track with my clients, but even if you're the worst closer in the world, right? So let's say people are averaging a 10% closing rate and you're just like 0.5. The fact that you know your metric, the fact that, the, that you know that you're 0.5, that's way better than a lot of people because at the end of the day, you still know exactly what you need to hit your goal if you had a goal. Right. Totally. And yeah. then from there, it's like, how do I improve? Right. How do right. I become better at rapport building? How do I become a better closer? Things of that nature. But at the end of the day, the very top at the very top of the list. And again, I'm going to go back to that question at the very top of the list, I think, is being consistent. Right. Is getting out there and doing as much as possible and tracking those stats so that you do know where you stand. Uh, and again, I just want you to kind of wrap on that and tell me what you've seen in that industry. Yeah. A great question, man. So it is what you're talking about is exactly the law of averages and Jim Rohn sums this up better than anybody I've ever listened to. Uh, he's the OG of personal development. You know, he's Tony Robbins mentor. 
Um, and uh, I, I listened to a ton of his stuff when I was younger. And I still do every once in a while, really, but because his stuff is just so good. But he talks about the law of averages a lot. And this is something that you can use in any form of sales that you're in. Um, really, the way, that, the way that I look at it, it, you have to do it long. You have to be willing to do it long enough to get one. If you're only going to do it to see if it's for you, you're going to quit because it's not fun. Like it's not enjoyable to take your Saturday afternoon and go knock on a bunch of doors and try to get somebody to sell you their house. Like that's not, it's not an enjoyable task. It's, it would be way better if you could just send out, you know, 50,000 mailers and get some responses back. Right. Um, the problem is all that other stuff costs money. So that's one thing I love about door to door is that you don't pay for marketing because you are marketing. So you are that form of lead generation. You're not paying. You're not paying for anything unless you actually get business. So the only thing that you're taking is your time. And when you're first starting out, you got time. So use your time uh, in a productive way. And then you know, once you get five, six, seven, eight, nine deals, and you're like, you know what? I hate knocking doors. Great. Then use all of your profit from those six, seven, eight, nine deals and start investing into a bunch of other forms of marketing that will prevent you from having to go knock on doors anymore. But until you get to that point, then I don't want to hear any whining because you don't have any business coming in. And if you don't have any business coming in and you're afraid to spend money or you don't have the money to spend, then you got to do what you got to do or get out and go get a job, right? So um, you have to be willing to at least get one because the first one that you get will tell you what your numbers are. Um, uh, so if you're, if you're knocking for, uh, well, let's just continue along real estate since that's what your audience is. If you're knocking to try to find a real estate deal, then you better be willing to knock until you get a deal. Not knock if I get a deal. Not, you know, I'll keep knocking if it goes well or if it makes me feel good. Say, no, I'm going to go out for two hours every single evening from five o'clock to seven o'clock for the next 90 days until I get a deal or until I'm going to quit real estate because it's too hard for me. So you got to go until you get a deal. And once you get a deal, now you can figure out the numbers and it's all about reverse engineering the numbers. And the cool thing about numbers is that uh, they're always going to have an average. So that's what, that's what we call the law of averages. So if you know that it took you 500 doors, you knocked on 500 doors and of those 500 doors, 200 people were home. And of those 200 people, um, you know, you were able to have a conversation with a hundred of them. And then of those hundred people, that you had a conversation with, you know, only 20 of them were really qualified, meaning that like it was an actually a, a, a deal that was able to be put together. And, uh, you know, they were maybe, maybe there was an extenuating circumstance you weren't aware of by looking at the data, whatever it is. Right. And you talked to really, you, you really were able to sit down with 20 people and then you closed one of those people and then you got a deal out of it and you flipped it or you wholesaled or whatever it is that you do. Then, they, then that means you know that, hey, I, it took me 500 doors. I knocked on 500 doors. I got one deal. That means I need to put out the, the effort to go knock on 500 more doors. Um, so really, like it's about getting that first one. But once you get like around four or five, you're really going to start to see that law of averages take place. You're really going to start to see a pattern uh, arise because maybe the next time it only takes you 100 doors to get that one instead of 500. Does it mean you got five times better at what you do? Probably not. Probably not that quickly. Um, it probably just means that that's how the numbers worked out. But then you might go 700 doors without getting another one. You know what I'm saying? So like, but by the time you get five, you can look back and say, okay, how many doors did it take me to get these five? Okay. It looks like, it looks like now through like the first one, it took me 500 doors, but through five deals, it took, it takes me on average about 350 doors to get a deal. 
So once you figure out that number, the coolest thing about the law of averages is you can get better. Exactly what you were saying is that it's totally the ball is in your court. And when you are knocking that many doors, talking to that many people, you are going to get better just intrinsically by the repetition. Um, But then there are certain things you can do to always get better. Maybe when you're driving to your area, have some sales uh, podcast in the background or um, be sharpening your, you know, knowledge in that local market, or you can always be getting better while you're doing those things. And the better you get, the more you're going to shrink down the volume of doors you need to knock on in order to see see some success. Because maybe you start seeing some patterns pop up like, hey, you know, maybe these probate deals aren't working out as well as I thought they would. Uh, But these foreclosure deals, like pre-foreclosure deals, like these ones are are deals that I should probably be focusing more of my time on. I've seen more success with them. My pitch is better. My, you know, whatever it is, you'll start, you'll start being able to cherry pick things to make it more worth your time and start shrinking those numbers. So that's how it was for me, man. When I was knocking doors for like alarm systems and stuff, it used to take me like four or five hours of knocking on a hundred doors to get a deal towards the end. Like when I stopped doing it, I would just drive up and down, uh, like I would get a neighborhood and I would drive up and down a few streets and I would cherry cherry pick like eight to 10 houses based on the way that the house looked, what kind of cars were in the driveway, like all that kind of stuff, all the things that I'd picked up on over knocking on thousands of doors, selling alarms. And then, um, you know, instead of having to knock on a hundred doors to get a deal, it was more like knocking on six to eight doors to get a deal wow. because the, the law of averages, like I got better. I got better at every single aspect of the business. I got better at picking out houses that were more likely to buy from me. I got better at uh, my pitch. I got better at the sale. I got better at the follow-up. I got better at everything along the way. And it like shrunk my law, my average down from a hundred doors to probably legitimately like 10 to 12 doors. Like if I was knocking and I was picking my territory and like figuring it out, like 10 to 12 doors, I could get a deal. You know what I mean? Like you'll, you'll figure out what, what days, what times of the day are best to go out. What, what times of the day give you the most um, opportunity to talk to the most people, the most qualified people. Um, You'll, you'll just start figuring out all these different things. You'll get better and better and better. And uh, you're cutting your teeth by doing that. So, um, uh, and the best part is, is it's totally free to do all of that. It just takes some of your time and none of it's wasted time. Even if you did all that and you only walked away with a couple thousand bucks and you're like, man, that seems like it was a waste of time. It wasn't because you just got to know your business 10 times better. You became so much better at communication. You became so much better at reading people. Your emotional intelligence probably went through the roof and any other form of sales after that is going to be easy as shit. Like it will be so easy when you, when you go from knocking on a door cold to try to selling, to try to sell somebody something to, you know, taking the money that you made from doing that and investing it into inbound marketing, um, to where you're getting like incoming leads and inbound leads, the, your ability to sell those people is going to raise exponentially because you're, because if you could sell the people who weren't interested, you're going to be able to sell the people who are interested. And so at that point, it's just about how far you want to take the business. If you want to scale the business or if you don't really care about reinvesting into it, then keep knocking doors, keep getting deals that way. Um, but, um, you know, if you want that to end, then take the money that you're making from the doors that you're knocking, throw that into other forms of marketing, test, experiment, learn, and uh, everything will get better if you work on that skill set. I promise you that. I love it. I love it. And, and you use a keyword there, and it's maybe not a keyword to most people, but you said business. And I actually don't consider what most people do a business. Um, I consider what most people do a business at the point in which they start tracking what it is that they're doing. Right. Because that's the only way that you can move forward. That's the only way you can improve. And that's the only way that you can get more sales. So um, I work with the realtor, my mastermind, and he he's had a, a thriving business for such a long time. And all of his business comes from referrals. And I'm jealous 
because he's able to do that, but at the same time, because he's in my mastermind and I want to show him what I consider a business, I'm like, dude, like we have to get in predictable sales. And the only way to get predictable sales is to create some type of system. His mindset now is like, I need to get on social media. He sees a ton of realtors killing it on social media. They have some type of funnel to where it's just like, hey, I just heard about this guy and now I'm willing to do business with this guy. So we've created his entire funnel to where it's just like, look, this is the top of the funnel. You're creating social media posts, right? You're getting them to your email list. You're, from their email list, you're having one-on-one calls. From those one-on-one calls are becoming clients. And now he's systematically able to track things so that he knows quarter after quarter how to hit his goals. At the end of your tenure as a door-to-door salesman, at the end of your tenure of selling snake oil, you said that you realized that it was, and I don't know how you came to this realization, but you said that you realized it was time to become an expert. What do you mean by that? And what did you go on to do? Yeah. So at that point, I, um, so it, it seems kind of counterintuitive because at that point I was 22 23 and I was coming off my first year of making six figures, which, you know, for my age category, I'm sure put me in the top 1% of income earners for people under 25 or whatever. Um, But I think you're in a top 5% of income earners in the country if you're at six figures, I'm not mistaken. Um, And doing that at age 22, you would think that I would want to just double down on whatever it is that I was doing. But I was always somebody that looked into the future and kind of looked at the destination that I wanted to end up at and would kind of reverse engineer and say, am I on the path to do that? And at that point, I just really knew the answer was no, I wasn't. Um, I knew that I knew that in 10 years from then, I didn't want to be knocking on doors. I didn't want to be selling uh, door to door anymore. I didn't want to be in that industry anymore. Not that that industry is bad. It taught me a lot. I have a lot of friends who make a g- great living in that industry with great hours and it's super flexible. And if you can do it, great. But it just wasn't, wasn't what I wanted to do. So from that point, I basically just stopped doing it almost like cold turkey and I pursued more of the self-development and personal development world because for the first time in my life, I was really like a 14-year-old thinking about what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Because when I was like, like I was explaining before, when I was 11 or 12, I like, you know, committed to going into the ministry or whatever. And so nobody really ever questioned that. I didn't have career counselors, I didn't have any of that stuff. So I, I never thought about what I wanted to do when I was a teenager, when I was a junior high, because it was always going to be ministry. So when I got to this point in my in my career, I was 22, 23, coming off of a six-figure year. I was married. I had a mortgage to pay. And now I was like a 14-year-old kid. I was just like, man, what do I do with the rest of my life? Do I want to be... like I, I looked at applying to be a, a fireman. I looked at like FBI agent oh, applications. Oh. I looked at... Like I looked at sales jobs. I, I looked at you know anything and everything that interested me in the least and uh, just dove into personal development because I was just looking for answers and I didn't have them. So this is the first time in my life that I dove into that, that world and it just became this rabbit hole of information that I just started learning more and more and more about. And one of my, that my, my favorite way to consume information at the time was podcasting. It still is. So I, after listening to a ton of podcasts for quite a while, I was just like, man, this seems like a lot of fun and it seems like something I could do. I may as well just get it started and jump in. And that's what ended up leading me down this path that I've been on now for the last couple of years. And what, what path is that? Podcasting, full-time podcasting. When it comes to the business that you've built, walk us through you building your business. Walk us through the, the, the point of inception. Hey, I have an idea, right? And whether it's in the self-help world or it's in the t- teaching world and whichever came first, but Walk us through the inception of, hey, I have an idea. Because I don't, I don't think that, and I remember how I started my podcast. I was actually 
told to start my podcast, like, hey, this is what you need to do. And I was trying to become a real estate investor. And my mentor said, no, create, create, create a channel. It, it was crazy because I had been struggling in real estate for a long time before I found my mentor. And I thought that by, by hiring this guy, paying this guy tens of thousands of dollars, like I was going to learn everything I needed to know about real estate. And I was so ready. I was so excited. And the first thing he told me to do was like, okay, um, we're not going to learn any real estate for the first few. It's like almost like Mr. Miyagi, like, you know, wax on, wax off. We're not learning any real estate. Hey, go start a podcast. Why? <laughs> you know, and, and hindsight is twenty twenty. But I mean, this is literally what created my business, right? And this is literally yeah. how I took off. And it's crazy that it started from a podcast. But how did you get started in that world? And what, what was your business model? What is your business model? Yeah, congrats to you, by the way. I've, I've been trying to get real estate agents and investors to start podcasts now for a, like at least a year. Like I've been mm-hmm. just been trying to get them to understand the, um, yeah, the power, man, I, especially in saturated industries. If you're in a saturated industry like real estate, you got to differentiate yourself. Uh, you have to separate yourself from everybody else and their mom because this is the only industry where it's like, hey, probably your mom does it too. You know what I mean? Like yep. literally everybody has somebody that they know in their family that does real estate. Um, so you, you got you to figure out a way to differentiate yourself. So first of all, props to you. you. Um, yeah, so the business kind of developed through the course of developing my audience. I didn't have any idea of what the business was going to look like. I was actually still selling door to door when I started the show because there was no way to bring in revenue at the time. What's the name of the show, by the way? I want to, want to definitely have my listeners check it out. Yeah. Build your network. Build your, oh, I love it. Okay. Build continue. your network. Yes, sir. Um, so, so coming into it, I was really under the impression that I wasn't going to be able to make money for it for from it for a little while, and I was still knocking door to door. I I found a different deal, um, a product that was higher margins that would enable me to work only like one or two weeks a month and still make a good income while I was trying to get this going and still have enough money to invest into myself and all those things. Um, <clears throat> so then when I I jumped into this business, it was really just building the audience, cre- like creating free content building the audience, spending time with the audience, finding out what their problems and, and pain points were, and then building solutions and selling it back to them. That's really the, the gist of what my business is. And that's why now I'm a podcast coach and consultant because that's the number one thing that I get asked about. So that's the number, thing, number one thing that I train on and, and, and teach people to do is how to start a successful podcast, how to create, launch, grow, monetize a successful podcast. And that's, that's where my whole business has come from is, is just through listening to my audience members and asking what they want to see from me, what they want to hear from me and, 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 and what information they want to consume from me. Uh, so that's, that's really built a, my entire business is just awesome. through listening to the audience. And um, about 13 months in, I was able to go full-time with it and been full-time ever since so for about a year now. That is, that is beautiful. And my, my, uh, my third paid mentor is a well-known podcaster. I'm sure you know him. His name is uh, Cliff Ravenscraft. As you know, he, he, kinda, he kind of revolutionized what I believe a podcast is and kind of started John, John Lee Dumas and Pat Flynn. Like he's the one who taught all of them how to do podcasting. So when I learned from him, I, I absorbed. So the fact that like, I know that this is something that can help so many people. Like I've yeah. seen it help so many people. And it, it, it's something that I urge. So like, if, you're, if you believe that you can have some type of voice, some type of message, the podcasting platform is, is, is by far better than video. And I'm, yes, I'm saying that in 2019. I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> You're so intimate with your audience, right? Mm, like yeah. yeah, the average YouTube video is watched, I think, about four minutes. Um, and 
they say that 80% of podcast listeners listen to all or most of an episode when they hit play. So that's a crazy huge difference right there. Like the amount of time that you get to spend with your listeners comparatively to any other platform is, is through the roof. I will say it's more, I think it's more difficult to grow a podcast than probably any other platform yeah. um, just because discoverability sucks. But yeah, most other things about podcasting, I think make it a more uh, intimate platform that, that drives pretty solid results. 100%, 100%. And one thing I noticed that you said is that you didn't, you didn't come in with the idea of what type of business you were going to have. You mm-hmm. came in with the idea of listening to your audience, figuring out what their pain points were, finding a problem that you could solve and that you wanted to solve. And then you went on and built those products and services. And that's often where I find the most successful entrepreneurs lie. Now, I want to I get to the meat and potatoes of how our audience, right? They may not want to build a podcast. They may not want to even have a platform, right? But the importance of the podcast for us is, is, is uh, one of them is, is definitely networking, right? Like you and I would not have ever met each other if it wasn't for a podcast or if it wasn't for somebody recommending you to come on this podcast. The networking on here is powerful, but let's just, let's just talk to the average. It's just like, uh, I'm not ready for that or I don't want to do that, but I still want to be a powerful networker. Now, would you say that when it comes to how you like to distill networking, are there different categories? Is there, uh, is there a certain way to network online as opposed to a certain way to network at, at a meetup group or at a conference? Because many real estate investors go to conferences every single week. And I'm sure they have their own, hey, I have my business card. This is who I am. And then like you're giving away 50 business cards. You're having 50 conversations for two minutes long. You don't remember anybody. And it's just a mess. Is there a better way to go about doing that? Or, or are you specifically focused on networking online? Kind of tell me a little bit more about about what it is that, that we're, we're going to be able to help our audience get to. Yeah, man. I mean, there's a lot in there, but I would, I would say, first of all, if you're one of those people that's like, yeah, I don't want to start a podcast. I want you to really think about why, why don't you want to start a podcast and, and, and really like drill yourself, ask yourself these questions because I think it's so powerful. Um, what, would you rather walk into a room where everybody wants to connect with you or walk into a room where you have to go out and connect with everyone? I will say, obviously the first one. Yeah, exactly. I will say, and I I, I will say Travis that it's such a big difference from me going to events and I'm just, I'm being as humble and honest as possible. It's such a big difference from me going to events without this platform and me going to events with this platform. And it, it's night and day. It's almost like many, many people haven't been able to experience this, but if you speak at an event and you go and mingle amongst the crowd after you've spoken, you will literally, you will literally, everything will fall in your lap. People will walk up to you. They'll ask you for your advice. They'll ask you for your number. They'll ask you for your business. They'll want to be clients just because you have, you have that authority in the front of the room. And I find even if you don't speak at an event, but you're going to events and you have a platform and people know about it, it's the same effect. It's so Mm -hmm. powerful. Yeah, 100%, man. And that's, that's why I say like, if you're, if you're out there, if you truly want to be a powerful networker, that's really the question. Because if you truly want to be a powerful network, I don't really see any other way to be honest with you to do it fast. Like you can develop skills, um, you can develop expertise, but there's a lot of people with skills and expertise that don't that nobody knows that that they, they, they struggle to get known because they never focused on a personal brand or a show or a platform. They never focused on getting people to know who they are. They focused on their craft, which is great. And they probably make really good money. 
Um, there's probably a lot of re- multi, multi, multi-millionaire real estate investors that we've never even heard of, and that's fine for them. But if they, but they don't probably don't have the desire to become a master networker, right? And if they did, they're probably only going to use the contacts that they currently have. So if you're somebody that really truly wants to become a powerhouse networker, then you have to. I, I just don't see another way to do it. I, I think that you have to build a platform, regardless of what it is. If it, if you don't want to do a podcast, okay, don't do a podcast, but do a YouTube channel or maybe um, an IGTV show or a Facebook Live show or um, or a meetup like a like a, a, a local meetup for just local people, like something like that. Something that puts you in a position of authority um, and something that allows you to become a quote unquote thought leader in that space. Um, I, I think that I think that. I just, it's so, it's so necessary to, um, really exploding your network, right? There's a difference between just like being a networker and then being somebody that explodes your network because what it allows you to do is it allows you to connect those platforms, allow you to connect with people who are operating on a level that's so much higher than the one you're operating at without having to pay them for their advice. Um, you know, like, uh, I know you're about to bring up examples, so let me let me bring one up for you because it, it was my next question, anyways. And, and and speaking of right, and I want you to walk because I literally just emailed his team today uh, or yesterday actually, uh, and I was just like, I, I went to your website, and one of the first people I saw on there was Grant Cardone. I was like, dude, he got Grant Cardone on. I need to ask him how he did that. But before we get to how you did that, I want to talk about going back to again what you learned through door knocking and how you went from, Hey, I'm going to knock on 500 doors. I'm I'm cherry picking these because I've been doing this for so long. When you built your platform and you started solving the problems of of your audience and you started reaching out to people, you started networking, you started um, doing podcast episodes with with influential people. What did you see was working in the space and what wasn't working in the space for you to be like, Hey, like, I'm a, I believe that I can reach out to these types of people and I'm definitely going to be able to get them on the show. Again, I don't think you reached out to grand and people like that on your first episode, right? It took time. You saw what worked and what didn't work. And I kind of want us, to, I want you to walk us through that process and then tell you how you, and then tell us how you got somebody like grand on your show. Uh, yeah. Hands down. It's credibility, regardless of how you earn that credibility, it's credibility. So if you have a million downloads a month, that's credibility. And that'll probably get a lot of guests on your show. When you don't have big numbers like that, like I didn't when I first started my show, you got to get credibility through other ways. You, you have to, you have to make, you have to take the decision-making process out of the equation when you're connecting with people like that, because they don't have time. Like uh, when somebody reaches out to them and says, can you come on my show? You just gave them homework because now they have to go check it out and see if you're legit or credible at all. If you're just another one of those shows, that's going to fall off the face of the earth in a month and a half from now, which 90% of shows end up doing like, they don't know if it's worth their time at all. And they have to now go research it and they're probably not going to take the time to do it. And so that's why you probably get ignored. So what you have to do is you have to take advantage of the eyes on the message and you have to, boost your own credibility through something. So for me, it was a credibility through association. That's how I, that's how I did a lot of those things. So I'll give you the, I'll give you the example of Grant. When I first started the show, I did reach out to Grant because I was highly ambitious and I was ignored like I should have been because I didn't even, my show wasn't even launched. I literally launched, I I reached out to him in my pre-launch still and I got totally ignored. About, uh, let's see, three months after I reached out, I was at an event that Grant and Elena were both speaking at. And quick tip here, never neglect the inner circle. A lot of people will see influencers at events. They want to go connect with them. They want to go talk to them. But guess what? So does everybody else that's in the room. 
And uh, one thing that I hesitate to share all the time because I don't want people to take up all my uh, my uh, secrets here. <laughs> yeah, um, but but the biggest thing is connect with people that are around those people. You, like a lot of times they'll be traveling with their team, their videographer, their photographer, their assistant, um, uh, a spouse, a family member, something like that, or maybe a good friend. And those people get ignored all the time. Like you see, you, Grant walks in with a videographer and Elena back then people talk to Grant and the other two people are just standing there waiting for him to be done, right? So he walked in, 10, 12 people swarmed him in the back. Um, it, it would have been worse if, if it were actually during a breakout, but you know, somebody was up on stage speaking. There were some stragglers in the back. Grant walks in the back with Elena. I was in the back working a booth. I saw them walk in. Eight, 10 people swarm Grant. They stand in line. They take pictures. They're trying to talk to him for 10 seconds each. But Elena was standing there by herself. So I got to talk to her for 10, 12, 15 minutes, just the two of us. And afterwards, I posted about it, and uh, we ended up connecting. I asked her to come on the show. She said yes. Um, and then after I got her on the show, she offered to introduce me to Grant. And I was like, oh, awesome. It's done. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm going to finally get Grant on the show. And then uh, she made an intro, and his gatekeeper, his executive assistant, stopped me. Wow. Even after even an introduction after from his own wife, wow! Like <laughs> not even she could get through the gatekeeper for me. So, uh, to, and to her credit, she was doing her job. The gatekeeper was. Uh, I know her pretty well now, and she's she's a, a good girl. She was just doing her job. So I had to get creative again because I knew that that wasn't be that wasn't going to be the route that it was going to happen. It wasn't going to happen to the gatekeeper. I was. You always want to be respectful of the gatekeeper. You don't want to go over their heads or do anything like rude. Be respectful. Um, communicate. Um, be nice, try to make it. And, and, and notice how Travis is toting the line between persistence and being respectful. Yes. Yeah, you have to. It's professional persistence instead of pushy persistence is how I always break the two down. One of them gets you results and one of them gets you blacklisted. <laughs> so you definitely don't want to be the blacklisted one. So I, uh, at that point, went just like on an all out assault on Grant's inner circle. So I used that initial connection with Elena and used it to start getting other people that I knew were in Grant's circle. And I wasn't do, just doing these interviews to get Grant. I also wanted all those other people on. And because they were people I respected, people like Brad Lee or Ed Milet or Lori Harder, Kerry Kasem, a lot of people that I knew that Grant was going to be having speaking at his conference that year. So I started reaching out to a ton of those people, sure. getting them on my show, knocking them off one by one. So by the second time I reached out to Grant, probably eight, nine months after the first time that I reached out to him, it was no longer just, hey, can you help me out? It was a, hey, when are we going to get you on the show? We've already been blessed to have Ed Milet, Brad Lee, Lori Harder, Kerry Kasem. Like, sure, I listed off, I think, nine or 10 names. And then the very last one was like, oh, and even have gotten Elena on the show as well. So wow. uh, just um, I'm going to be in Miami next week. Want to see if I can maybe stop by the office, just knock out a quick interview with you. And he said, yeah, for sure. Let's make it happen. Boom. I love that. That is beautiful. Um, and, and, and if you were to leave our listeners with one, one tip, one, one major cherry on the top, as far as networking advice goes, and it can be networking with influencers, but it can be networking in general. It can be something off the beaten path. What, what is that final tip for our listeners? Master the value add. Your network will always increase in direct proportion to the amount of value that you can add to other people. So master the value add and you will never have a problem building your network. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite before the millions book? So a book specifically about like real estate business. 
It, it, it can be a book that, that changed your life that helped you get to where you are today. Yeah. One that made a big impact on me just because of the way that I grew up was uh, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind uh, because uh, it really conditions, it, it helps recondition your money mindset. So if you, if you're listening to this and you feel like, yeah, I kind of have a broke money mindset or I grew up in a, in a, in a, a place that made rich people sound like they were all arrogant jerks and that they just are super selfish people. And you have all these like limiting beliefs about money and getting rich and things like that. I, I recommend checking out secrets of the millionaire mind. It's great on audio as well. Love it. Love it. By T Harv Ecker. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. I would say zoom. Uh, it's the one I usually say because I use it the most. Like we're on a Zoom call right now. I have a Zoom call with my mastermind, and um, so yeah, I, I would say I use Zoom pretty frequently. I, I, I like the I like the program that they built. I do too. Love it. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Freedom, man. I, that's why I chose podcasting. I, I wanted independence. I wanted I wanted location freedom, time freedom financial freedom. I wanted like all of the above and, and the podcast, the lifestyle that I've built now allows me to do that. Like the other day I got this email about a good deal on flights to Paris. So I booked two flights to Paris and taking my wife there for her birthday in December. So we're going to hit Paris and Switzerland and, um, uh, Ireland as well, and then oh, come back man. home. So like 10, 12 day trip, just like, you know, it was just cool to be able to get an email and be like, sure, and just book it and then not have to check in with anybody, not have to let anybody know that I'm going to be gone or ask for permission to do it. it was or schedule just, it around the holidays because you only have 14 days the whole year. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was just like, uh, we'll go ahead and schedule it and uh, let's just go. <laughs> so, I, love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's beautiful. Um, what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Stuff. Mm. I just don't buy stuff. Um, not to say that I will never do that. I probably will. I, I want a nice car and I will get a nice car at some point. But for now, I sacrifice a lot of stuff so that I can reinvest into my business and into myself. Um, I just I just recently uh, committed to a $100,000 mastermind, which was a huge leap for me, a big jump for me. And I would have much rather used that money to go buy myself a very nice vehicle that I've been wanting for a long time since I was I like 20, moment, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but I didn't, I invested into myself because I think that hundred thousand dollars can pay off in a much uh, more conducive way instead of lose me money in a depreciating asset. So I, I just don't buy stuff, man. I, I live in a, I live in a, a small house with a small payment I live, um, I drive a, a Camry, a used Camry and a used uh, 07 Tundra. Like I, I drive used vehicles. I, I just, I don't wear fancy watches. Like this is my normal outfit, just like a t-shirt and a pair of shorts. Like, my I just favorite shirt. <laughs> yeah, there you, you go. You guys on the Funnel Hacker shirt. <laughs> Funnel Hackers, yep. Uh, so like I, I, I just don't spend money and stuff like that, man. I, I, that's probably the biggest sacrifice for me because I would like to do some of those things. Um, the only thing that I do spend money on that I splurge a little bit is travel uh, because that's just, it means a lot to me. You know, I've, I've been like, once we hit, once we hit the, our trip this year, it will be over 30 countries that I've been to and like 35 states that I've been to in the, in the, in the U.S. And so I, I really enjoy that. Uh, but I, I think experiences enrich our lives rather than stuff weighing down our lives. So not, but that again, like doesn't mean I will never have stuff and I, I want to in the, eventually in the future. But that's, you know, the sacrifices that I make to reinvest in myself and my business and allow me to live the lifestyle that I want. 
We love a uh, lifestyle design. I love to travel. And if there was one thing that I just completely let myself go on is travel. I love that. Um, who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Probably John Lee Dumas. Uh, you mentioned him a little bit earlier, but he was, he was the first dude I ever really connected with and built a relationship slash like friendship mentorship with. And he's uh, helped me in, in, you know, countless ways, um, indirectly and directly. So I'd probably say John is, is one of the larger influences in what I've been able to do. That is awesome. Great, great guy. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Hmm. There's got to be definitely more than one answer to this, but I would say probably action. I don't think people take enough action. I think that people who intend to be millionaires rely too much on like writing affirmations and Mm. reciting that they're going to be a millionaire in the mirror rather than actually going out and doing tasks that are going to help them make millions. Um, They're, they're too scared to take risks that that's got to be a big one. Uh, they're like, if you get a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars in the bank and you saved that, you're too scared to go spend that money on ways to figure out how to make more money. So it just, all that does is elongate the process of getting to the point where you want to be because, um, you're just putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And now you have to learn all those things yourself. That's why I invest so much. Like including this mastermind, like that'll probably be like $160,000, $170,000 in the last two years that I've invested into myself. Yep. Two years investing into myself, like masterminds, courses, events, mentors, all those things, um, because I know that that's what's going to come back on me. And in, in a recession, like if the, if the economy crashes in the next two or three years, um, you can lose businesses, you can lose money, you can lose a lot of different things, but you can't lose knowledge and you can't lose your connections if you treat those things properly. And I think those are the things that are really going to pull me up and allow me to not just survive the next downturn, but actually thrive in the next downturn, um, which uh, which is really important to me. So I think I think uh, lack of action and uh, and lack of risk. And I think lack of risk really just comes down to you value the wrong things. You value money over your time. And I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Beautifully said. I love that so much. Now, Travis, if the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, they want to get a hold of you. They want to learn how to network better. Where can they find some of your resources? Where, they, where can they connect with you at? Where can they say hi? Give us all that here. Yeah. Travischapel.com. You can find everything. Two P's, two L's. Travischapel.com. Um, I'm most active in terms of social media on Instagram. So if you hit me up at Travis Chapel on Instagram, do shoot me a DM, uh, upload this to your Instagram story, tag, tag me in it. I'll head over there and I'll, I'll say what's up. I'll love to connect with people. Love it. Love it. Love it. Travis, you have dropped so much value on our listeners. I've learned so much. So I know they've taken away a lot. Thank you so much for coming on the show and we will talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Happy to be here. Thanks so much.